Hi folks, uh, Edith here. Thank you so much indeed for choosing to listen to another episode of my podcast. I say this most weeks, but I genuinely do really appreciate you taking the time to um, listen to us because I know that you have a huge amount of options out there when it comes to listening to podcasts. Um, You join me, it's so weird where I'm sat doing this. I'm sat in a hotel room at White City, um, overlooking the kind of circular area of... Um, what used to be the old TV centre. My young son Rudy's just tapping me uh, on the shoulders. Rudy, you're mentioned so often in this podcast. Do you want to just say hello? Hi. There we go. <laughs> We're actually off to Paris tomorrow for the day to go and explore and just, um, yeah, sort of submerge yourself in French culture for the day. Anyway, um, I'm sat here um, overlooking this sort of circular area of TV centre and... Yeah, it just reminds me of so many times that I've been here over the years making TV and being part of the kind of history of the BBC. So it's a lovely place to be and lots of lovely memories here as well. And also lovely memories of watching and experiencing some of the people that have appeared in the podcast as well. So that's slightly odd and brilliant in the uh, in various ways. But um, this week is lovely because we've got two guests on this week's podcast. Uh, two returning guests actually for you on our latest episode of Soundtrack. And first up, uh, Bryce Desner from The National, who composed the score and music for Cyrano with his brother Aaron. Then it's the man uh, who directed this latest interpretation of the classic tale, Mr. Joe Wright. Joe's just the best company. Um, he loves what he does. It's uh, His enthusiasm is really infectious and he's a great storyteller. And just good fun, really, really good fun spending time with Joe. And in preparation for our chat, I, I listened back to our previous episode, which was around the release of uh, Darkest Hour, and just made me smile listening back to it, to be honest. Cyrano is this incredible film, I think. It's such a great um, and unique and quite different take on two things, on a musical and also on the story of Cyrano. And there's a great history behind this particular production, which features uh, Mr. Peter Dinklage. But I will let Joe explain all about that because we go into quite a lot of detail about it. So um, I'll let him explain all. So without further ado, uh, we're going to start with Bryce, though, with his opening cue from the film Intro. So nice to see you again. Good to see you too. Yeah, last time we, we saw each other in a different era in, in a studio without masks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in person, before all this madness. Yeah. Um, you've had a busy time of it. It's been so wonderful to watch all the brilliant projects that you've been working on. Likewise. Um, I was lucky enough to host the UK premiere of uh, Serrano, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, oh, and what was really nice was speaking to Joe but also to Erica and just hearing from them how important, you know, you and Aaron's role in this film was in terms of really being able to tell the story. So I hope you don't mind if we just kind of go back to how you first came to be, you know, asked to be involved in this project and what the ask was really. 
Yeah, it's several years ago now. And Erica Schmidt, who is the great um, screenwriter who wrote the film version of Cyrano, um, she had this idea that she'd been kind of working on for 10 years or so to to adapt, um, you know, Cyrano de Bergerac, really for her husband, Peter Dinklage, to play. Um, so she'd been writing this, this um, you know, originally theatrical adaptation. And um, I think this is probably four or five years ago now. And she managed to track us down. She, she started to have this idea that it really needed to have songs and that it yeah. needed to have songs by the national very specifically, actually. And they, Peter and Erica are big fans of the band and uh, had known our music for some time. And so they, you know, kind of found their way to us. I think they found me first and um, yeah. I was pretty, I was pretty incredulous. Um, I had brunch with Erica and she told me this plan. I said, I, I said, I think that's a really bad idea. Did you? <laughs> yeah. My first response was, why would you want to do that? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, but, you know, she's very persistent and very convincing um, and obviously extremely talented. And so mm. what ended up, you know, happening is they, um, they had a folder of instrumental music that we had written. Um, my brother and I, we collect when we write songs with Matt really. And now I guess with other people also, we collect kind of instrumental, we call them sketches and they're just yeah. simple song ideas basically without words. And Erica had like a folder, essentially Matt forwarded a kind of 10 year archive of that stuff to Erica. <laughs> and so she organized, um, they have a place upstate New York near where I live. Well, where I was living, where I still have a little house up there in Woodstock. And so they invited me over and did a reading of this, uh, you know, version of Cyrano she was working on with Peter playing Cyrano and then some other friends. At that time, it was actually the Amanda Seyfried also lives up there. And so she was reading Roxanne and some other yeah. actors. And and Erica kind of DJed um, a playlist of music. On, so it was like, the, you know, the national underscore with this. Yeah. Theater, I had like a private. It was literally for me. <laughs> wow. And, um, you know, I don't know. Aaron was gone and Matt wasn't around <laughs> in L.A. And so... But it was very moving, actually, to hear the original and the way that she had done this, um, you know, just a very kind of like a more modern version of Cyrano, mm. which is one of these classic stories that everyone knows. And um, and so I was convinced and and the others were, you know, intrigued. And so we thought, well, why not? And, and so we started to write. And then we started to write songs. You know, that what's interesting about um, this version is that what in the place of the kind of long letters and monologues of Cyrano and this 19th century, you know, it's a classic um, yeah. text in verse and, um, you know, but it's much longer. It's like over four hours and it would in multiple acts. And so in place of that, um, the songs kind of occupy the space of where, where that poetry would have existed. And so we started working on these songs originally, you know, basically the theatrical versions were like kind of work in progress and kind of yeah. concepts. And then, you know, as you might expect, the Nationals music works better in a film than on stage in a way because the songs are very introverted and very um, kind of organic and not overstating themselves, I guess. Mm -hmm. so. But it was really once we heard, I think one of the first songs that Matt and his wife Corinne wrote with our music is Overcome, which is the balcony scene. And that yeah. song, the way it carries the narrative and kind of functions in that scene was very convincing. We thought, oh, wow, I guess we could do, we can do this. The way I feel is like falling stars diving into cold ocean waves words can only get me so far they cannot describe the way 
that it hurts Cause every time I see you I am overcome I try to tell you Tell you how much I need Was it a kind of case of trying to sort of, did, did you embrace the kind of original text of those moments and almost kind of nationalise it in a way, you know, in terms of, because, you know, obviously she's, Erica's writing the screenplay and like you say, those those kind of monologues and those kind of letters and all that are very kind of, there's there's a historical place within the within the, the, the play of and the story for them. But cutting down that time so it's not a four hour long film and making it creative and having your kind of injection of, of your creativity in there as well. Was it, was it a case of, of kind of almost taking the, the, the big monologues and the poems reversion in them in a way? Yeah. I mean, Erica had been studying the text for so long that she was really helpful in terms of, um, and then ultimately also Joe Wright when we, when, you know, the, the version in the film is quite different, actually, it's almost unrecognizable from what was done in the theater. Um, and yeah, I think that almost like the way a dramaturg would work in opera or theater or something where they, you know, and there were beautiful songs. There's probably twice as many songs that were written, a bunch of songs that were in the play that are not in the film. And then additional songs, for instance, Somebody Desperate, the national song at the end and the end credits, that was written for the film, but it kind of didn't really sit in the narrative in the right way. It felt like a good song for the end. Kind of, It kind of sums beautiful. up all the feeling in the film. Why can I say anything It never has no meaning I can't breathe I can't speak I don't know what I'm feeling That wasn't me I don't know who that was That was somebody desperate Someone in love Why can't I tell Anybody the truth I'm somebody desperate I don't know what to do You have no idea, do you? But I do But yeah, I guess the, um you know, like for instance, the Valvera scene where the duel, that song, when you're born um, in the beginning, it's like Peter, you know, Cyrano's first big song and it's this kind of extra extroverted. And, and that's an important, tricky thing in the, in the play. That whole scene is just elaborate. And yeah. you know, what do you do with it? And so and it, it's condensed into like a two minute, 30 second song, kind of intense. And he's, you know, but it says a lot in that song and there is kind of, there is some wordplay in there from the original. Um, and in, in general, yeah, there's sort of like literate elements and just, I guess in a way like Matt um, and Corinne, they did beautiful. There's some beautiful kind of, um, you know, have you ever loved someone madly? Just like really simple poetic yeah. ideas in the songs that do function. Um, I think it makes it so accessible to people, the story. It's like a beautiful adaptation. It's a really, it feels like almost a, a contemporary beautiful adaptation of the story through the use of song yeah i think that it um you know singing about love is really different than speaking about love you <laughs> yeah. know? and especially right now 
like in the middle of COVID where we're not allowed to see anyone or touch anyone. Yeah. It's like, you know, you have kind of a really heartfelt, sincere love story, basically, you know, and it's ultimately about communication and these three characters trying to speak to each other. And and I guess, you know, there is the, all three of them are kind of in love with like written language and the power of art. And, the, and then the fact that it's set in this crazy, gorgeous, like all that, it's not, you know, yeah. movie sets, that's all real. The, it's yeah. the, like it's a shot in Sicily in this crazy Baroque town called Did you Nocturne. get to go out? Nocturne. I did. Yeah. I, I was there. Joe is really, you know, he's brilliant, um, isn't he? I love Joe. He's brilliant. He's very persistent. Um, he reminds me, you would know the type. He reminds me of like an English rock star, you know, like kind of. <laughs> oh, I like know just, those. <laughs> yeah. I know you do. Uh, he's just going to kind of get what he wants no matter what. So you either give in early or, you, you know, it's that kind of vibe. So he, you know, he's just like, we're having a party. You're coming. I'm like really in the middle of COVID. I'm going to, so, but I ended up there for three weeks, um, you know, for all the rehearsals and then for the beginning yeah. of shooting, you know, and the fact that it's actors singing as opposed to singers acting, you know, that yeah. thing of, you know, if you're not really used to mic technique and like would they, but the, you know, to their credit, they really push for that. And it does make it much more naturalistic, the whole yeah. experience of the way. And I think important for how these songs function with the poetry of the original play they're not sort of like needle drop big broadway songs that kind of come in and out of the dialogue and the scene uh kind of fluidly that was one thing i wanted to sort of compliment you all on was that idea that because you do you have those two worlds where you have musical films where people will burst into song you know in terms of instead of speaking i'm going to sing and then you have uh needle drops that that have either a diegetic you know, purpose or they're a score purpose. But this is so beautifully weaved in that you kind of you kind of forget it's a musical film because of the performances and the way and the subtle transition from whatever's gone before, you know, when there's a musical performance. It's so clever. It really, really, really works. And I think I don't know whether that's I mean it's obviously down to how you've written it, but also how it's performed, I think, as well. Particularly Peter, I think he's, um, yeah, he, you can tell he's loving it. And I know he was really apprehensive and kind of slightly scared about singing, particularly because he's such a big fan of you guys as well, I think, as well. So, you know, he's kind of like, man, I'm singing one of my favorite bands of like, you know, it must be terrifying for him. But it's such a kind of fine line that you found so perfectly. Thank you. Yeah, I think I'm. Um... With Peter, it was important. He, Peter is such a virtuoso actor, really. I mean, he's he's kind of mind-bogglingly good when you're in the room. And, and all that stuff, like I was in the room, you know, watching him do that, you know, the stunt training while kind of rapping that first song. You yeah. know, six words, sort of really rhythmic. Sir, when I was born, the nurses laughed hysterically. They've never seen anything quite like me, apparently. I'll never forget it. I can still hear them joking. One said, my goodness, what has God been smoking? From when I was born, I learned to control my tears. When they carried me home to town, I left a trail of broken mirrors. Guess when children see me? They scream and run away. You're absolutely Absolutely right. Halloween's my favorite holiday. I am a monster. I am a mutant, a freak of nature. I've heard all the hateful, ugly, no nomenclature. Can't you see I'm much more than you think? I've heard it all so many times. Everybody knows I'm so much more than a freak. 
I get it, it makes sense when you have your kind of talent for clever, vicious comments. My heart's not even angry, it's just the way it breaks. And don't be so tough on God, everybody makes mistakes. Yes, one side of me could make a statue cry. Guess what else? When bluebirds land on me, they shit themselves and die. Whichever way I look at you, can't find a tasteful side. A specimen like you belongs in formaldehyde. Yes, what you've heard is true. I am not a rumor. I'm living proof that God has a sick sense of humor. And he, he can kind of, he holds forth. You know, he does have a similar range to Matt. He's a baritone to Matt Berninger, a singer. Um, but they're very different. Matt's very quiet. And actually, Peter can sing pretty loud. He can, Peter, because he has this sort of sing to the back of the room, sort of, you know, thespian <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. And I think the challenge for him was actually exploring sort of like the quieter dynamics of yeah. his voice which is where that really, he has all these really touching sounds. He's also very, Matt scoops everything in his voice. It's almost impossible to notate what Matt's going to sing. Is like, there's all these little weird, and, and it's kind of what's clever about him. Peter's almost more like a brass instrument where it's like, here's the note and it's really in tune. And, you know, and it, but so the yeah. problem is if he's like reading the sheet music, he's like, wait, are you sure that's a D flat? It sounds that it's, you know, he's kind of really like musical in this specific oh, way. Wow. I think for an actor like that to, to um, who's so, you know, actually like there's a, that line in there coded and whimsical yeah. and all that stuff. It's like he, he, he is, and he is so talented, but like something, there's something so intimate and disarming about him singing. Um, mm. And also like, you know, we've spent our whole career basically making songs that people love out of kind of unlikely candidates for songs that people are going to love, you know, it's, you know, I think Cyrano is full of those of these sort of, Oh, was it a song or was it, you know, yeah. they're, they're very yeah, subtle yeah, yeah. and it, it kind of leads to obviously the big moment is the the battle song, which is not sung by the main characters. It's Glenn Hansard. Yeah, once I remember um, kind of just being blown away by you talking about musicians who act and actors who sing. Glenn in that in, in once was just what a beautiful performance he gave in that film. He has that quality that like great Irish musicians have where they can just I mean, the guy can like entertain you know it's just sell it to like any song he's kind of so he we you know joe started asking like oh who should play the cadets and i thought well but i'd probably do it if we ask him you know <laughs> and it is brilliant yeah. also sam amadon is similar he plays the the second cadet and then um scott Follin is a young guy young actor um who has a beautiful singing voice who plays and so that but that song kind of occupies obviously an important space in the film and we kind of like rise to that moment yeah. in, in a way it's like reminds me if there's certain kind of operatic stories like some of the great operas of Janacek some of the sort of like key sort of early 20th century operas um like House of the Dead or Macropolis Case or these things it's almost like there's not an aria until the very end but it's something yeah. that they're released finally when it's like oh now it's really coming home I have a wife I haven't seen Since lilacs bloomed insane Hit the lead She always wears them In her hair She lets them fall down Everywhere I can see her In the glowing light Dressing without a sound I promised I'd be home Take this letter to my wife and tell her that I loved my life. 
I tell my boys The Lord, he found me When I say their names out loud They're all around me I tell them Not to cry at all I think, you know, the the way that the music kind of weaves in and out and, and partly because we had time to develop this, it's its own world, you know, like it's about itself. It's not about Broadway musicals or other versions of Cyrano yeah. or something. Kind of this very personal thing, the, the, the thread of the national in there, obviously the way our music functions, but I think the score, the way the score kind of weaves in like a river kind of through the songs and, and again in this sort of seamless way was where it got interesting for us to really work on it. Yeah. Do you think seeing having that kind of private performance in upstate New York and, and seeing Peter in this role in a, in a very, I imagine, kind of quite relaxed environment, did that inform much for you in terms of who his version of this character was and, and what it needed musically? I think that the intimacy of here of that reading um, implied like, yeah, like a simple it was, it was also during a period musically where we were becoming quite complex. It's around mm-hmm. probably Sleepwell East where the music was getting like lots of electronics and kind of crazy composition stuff over it. And, and obviously easy to find is the album after that, which is again, kind of like has a nine minute song. And, you know, um, and I think we felt that Cyrano needed to have a simple, simple sort of chordal and melodic statement about it, where it's like yeah. kind of iconic and just, just us playing a simple guitar. and then. And eventually, I think Nozzo and the, this Baroque setting and the period side of what, um, you know, the kind of 17th century um, period film that Joe is going to make brought in the kind of more orchestral flourish and all the woodwinds and classical piano and those, which we love, you know, I have like a long background kind of working with orchestras and stuff. And so I love that. It's a language that comes to me pretty easily. So um, that was really fun, you know, and yeah. it ended up being, I think it's kind of like an interesting chapter of music for us because it's different you know it, it doesn't have the kind of signature driving drums for instance we would normally uh-huh. use it, it has electronic percussion and some sort of orchestral percussion in it but in general there's a kind of heartbeat to the music that's more played in kind of the guitar or piano accompaniment
I love talking to Joe about his creativity and about his kind of craft. He's he's um his enthusiasm's just kind of so infectious, I think, as well. But I guess this is such an interesting journey because, you know, in your experience as working with working with, you know, music to film, you don't normally have a pre-existing relationship with the screenwriter for a theatrical version before you then go into the film version. And then I just wondered sort of when you were kind of working when when Joe sort of came into the picture with regards to to the film side of things, you know, what were the conversations with regards his vision for it, and yeah, how did that work? It was interesting. I think you know, typically a composer is brought in late. Now I would say that some projects that I've done or Aaron and I do together, we because we know some filmmakers or we've had relationships, so they, you know, we're even friendly. You know, like we um, with the Mike Mills film, Come, yeah. Come On, we that script we were around and was writing it. It was sort of, um, it even has elements from, from Aaron's daughter in that script, you know, I think, um, and, and similar with Cyrano, like the, the, because music was primary material, I mean, that the lyrics are in the script and, yeah. and so we really were involved deeply with every, all the planning. And, you know, when Joe found out the film was greenlit, I think he called me first, you know, and so it's kind of, you know, really a fun, fun to be on the inside of that, you know, yeah. and not kind of be like, you know, usually music is this other layer, but it's not one of the main, you know, you know, it's important, but and it can play a huge role, but it's, you know, it can kind of be obviously in service of the the bigger collaboration, which is, is, is also really interesting. In this case, it was really like, we had to figure out all the music before they even started shooting, you know, just the, the cost of shooting a song was so yeah. in every little detail. From the minute we started working on it, Joe was really specific actually about all the lyrics we were rewritten. We did like a three week workshop of all the music where he really, he really wanted to hear it. Yeah. Um, when I was there in Notel in the rehearsals, like we would stay up all night and I would orchestrate. He was like, like, well, Joe can't wait. Cause normally, you know, normally in film, like orchestration happens at the end before the yeah. orchestra recording. And very often, like I think the majority of film composers, they don't even orchestrate their own music. I always do orchestrate my own music. Because um, you can. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's also like the, the the it's like you know it's in the details. You know, the beauties mm-hmm. that the details are like. Um, and so he was sitting there with me and like, well, can like that song "Every Letter," which is one of the ones that was a huge change. And so that was a trio and the. And it, again, occupies a big space in the kind of like the, what the letters, like if they're falling in love with each other, these letters, and there's this song, song sung by the three of them. And, and it's ambitious. It's probably one of the most ambitious things we've ever done musically. I mean, who would think a trio, like, yeah, duo is already hard, but like three <laughs> characters singing, like that, that's when she asked me, you know, it's like, when I was like, this is a bad idea. <laughs> like, you tell me that? Um, actually, that was not, you know, that to his credit, that was Joe's idea to do it that way. And um yeah, but he really, you know, he really just like working with um, Seamus, the cinematographer, or Sarah Greenwood, the visual um, mm. designer, you know, really wants to to get inside what it's going to be. I think in kind of like a Buñuel sort of, it's very deliberate, it's very intentional. You can kind of feel that in the details of his yeah. filmmaking. And it was really fun to be a part of it. It's a beautiful thing. I just had the most wonderful experience watching it. And it was it was great to get to chat to chat to to so many of the people behind it and get to chat to you as well. You mentioned Mike Mills as well. And I um, I watched Come On, Come On, Come On the other day. It absolutely floored me. I didn't know anything about it. And I, it's, I think it's such a breath of fresh air when you can do that, where you can go in to watch a film and try and go in there with a completely, almost like blank canvas of not having any expectation, not really knowing anything about it, apart from, you know, who's in it and the name and things. And I kind of, that's, and obviously Mike's been a fan of Mike's work. 
in the past. Um, <clears throat> and it was just, I thought it was so brilliant. Such a great film. Um, I think that's one of the last times I saw you in person was at the the Royal Festival Hall when we did the... Oh, right, yeah. Uh, I'm easy to find where you guys did this, where Mike was there and we did a little Q&A on stage and then showed the short and then you guys played. It was, um, yeah, what a treat that was. But it's really interesting you were saying, do you, do you mind talking a little bit about, about this? Because I was listening to the soundtrack again this morning whilst I was giving the kids breakfast and it kind of felt like it was part of my day this beautiful score because it's got such a tenderness to it and a comforting emotion and feeling to it in a way, but also a learning is kind of what I get from it in a real sort of childlike way, which I loved. Do you mind talking a little bit about the conversations you, you guys had with Mike about this and what, yeah, what I mean, he was looking for for this? It is interesting. You know, Mike, we had this amazing experience of making an album with him, really. Yeah. Uh, Mike Mills. Um, so I, I Am Easy to Find, which is like the Nash, last national record, which features the voices of women kind of equally to Matt. Um, and it was made uh, at the same time as a short film. So Mike's last film is the same title, I Am Easy to Find, as Alicia Vikander, um, playing this character from childhood to death as like one woman through her life. And it's really moving. Um, you know, 25 minute film. And so we, we were kind of like, um, it was an incredible collaboration and it, you know, Mike basically kind of joined the band um, and he is, he's <laughs> extremely musical. He's kind of like obsessive and, you know, sometimes um, uh, he has like the energy of like a punk rocker in a way where it's yeah. like, it's really specific, but it's not, sometimes it's not so much about what he likes, but what he doesn't like, or, you know, this kind of, he really, for the, because the film is, you know, has a, a like a, a sort of story within the story of this documentary that's being made about the kids in America yeah. and the future. And, and I think he wanted, you know, the tone of the film, he didn't want to be too sentimental, you know, where Cyrano was sort of over the top, like emotion, emotion, emotion. I think uh, Mike's film in the way was really carefully kind of, he was trying to find the right tone for it. And so um, we did tons of work and, you know, we probably wrote more music for Come On, Come On than we possibly even did for Cyrano, just my brother and I, we were doing, trying all kinds of ideas. The source music in there is really important. Mozart's Requiem, um, Debussy, Emma Hoy, the sister Emma Hoy, the Ethiopique's like solo piano mm-hmm. music. So all of that kind of informed what we did. And we ended up kind of finding this really layered, um, you know, use of electronics and synthesizers and then woodwinds actually. So yeah. there's a lot of clarinet saxophone. Yeah. The need, of, the need of breathing to kind of almost yeah. move things along. So you really feel it. It's kind of almost yeah. like a meditation in a way at points.
Yeah, so that that feeling and this kind of simple chord progressions that are tender and have a kind of something about, you know, there was like this one theme called Hopper's theme and Hopper is Mike's son when the film was kind of based on, on him as a child. He's like nine, 10 now and he has, he's like a really clever, incredible kid. And and so I think, yeah, it was, it was really touching the whole experience. And like I said, it was, Mike is extremely involved. Like he would sit there and kind of, you know, over Zoom often because we weren't in the same room, but he would, you know, tweak things really. Just like, can you turn that knob a little bit, a little <laughs> bit, but no, not so much. Yeah, that kind of and, um, you know, we almost lost our minds like several times with it, but it was, the, the result was incredible. And um, and it's really exciting the, the way the film's been received from Mike. It's exciting for, us, for him. performances as well I mean I mean Joaquin's a kind of given but this young kid Woody is just phenomenal yeah and he's English which is is he he's He's English no oh wow I mean the relationship they have is just it feels so real you know that's kind of just what you what you kind of get away from it I kind of like I keep it's weird I sort of had it on this morning I was making porridge and I was like I wonder what they're doing is he you know if they're visiting you know because you kind of feel like because it has this documentary backdrop to to her you know his character is obviously trying to make this tell the story and you kind of if that's why it feels so real is you kind of I want to know if they are hanging out and they're you know if they're seeing each other and because you really care for them you fall in love with them as a kind of you know this seeing this beautiful relationship develop and how much one needs the other and you feel that through the score as well you really tell their story I think through the music beautifully yeah, I actually don't know to what extent they um, rehearsed or didn't, but I know that um, there's a fair amount of, you know, kind of improv in, in the scenes as well, where they were trying things out. And um, I know that Gabby Hoffman, who plays, you know, Woody's mm-hmm. mom and Joaquin, who played brother and sister in the film, they're such incredible actors that they didn't, yeah. they, in terms of their chemistry, they didn't want to rehearse, but it's like watching them together also is just amazing. So yeah, I mean, it, it is, uh, there's such touching personal movies that Mike makes, you know, and yeah. the, the choice of casting is so interesting. And, yeah. I recently rewatched 20th Century uh, Woman, actually, which I, I love that film so much. Such a, oh, yeah, such a great film. Do you mind if we talk just for a couple of seconds about, congratulations on all the success as well, on, you know, your work on folklore, the orchestration and that was such an important part to to the whole piece of that, really. I just think it's it's you've you've you gave her another another side to her story to Taylor's story. I think that we hadn't seen through that part of of what you did on that that record. What were the conversations with regards to what she was looking for to you know to 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 give to those songs to give to her storytelling? I mean, that was a really interesting experience, and I think it in a way grows out of um, this same period of time of working on all this music remotely during covid so cyrano and the come on come on score i mean come on come on especially kind of began around the same time as the songs on folk folklore and i obviously have been orchestrating you know our songs for years and so yeah. it was just surreal really to hear these amazing you know songs and being a fan 
uh, for so many years and kind of, but to hear something new and also my brother so sort of uh, beautifully, um, you know, finding this language together with such a great yeah. uh, artist. And so, yeah, it, it all came pretty naturally, to be honest. It just, and I think because that music in a way is quite spare, um, the sort of nature of it, um, there was a lot of room for the the way that the orchestration, the kind of, you know, the use of the strings and yeah. could brass in some places could really kind of um, create kind of, you know, sometimes I like to, you know, songs, especially that are kind of simple chord progression, sometimes the use of the orchestration can create more of a journey or more of a narrative. And I think um, her songs are so narrative and have such clear stories that like the, the it was really fun to orchestrate that basically. Yeah. And I think you know, Evermore in a way, the second album even has more, you know, some more adventurous kind of textures and things, but it was, um, yeah, it was a kind of, you know, one of the strange, weird surprises of uh, COVID where the world was shut down to be working on like this incredible music that then yeah. lots of people appreciate. This was fun. think about the positive side of of what people have been what you've been able to achieve in covid because you know they're on one side it's it's kind of utterly depressing but on the other side it's amazing when you think about what what's been able to be achieved has it been a very different experience for you being in those kind of restrictions or, to a point around creating music for you know whether it's for film or whether it's for the band or whether you know whatever that's for I mean, I think there's a huge thing for us because we're musicians that lived on the road for 20 years, basically. Um, yeah. And we managed to make it work, but we it took its toll on us personally, I think, and our you know, families and relationships. Like we were always touring and then we would come home and the only time we had a home, we would go in the studio and start writing. And, and on top of that, we were also developing other, you know, we have other projects and we love collaborating and I do all this music in the concert hall and we were just busy. So suddenly to have time um at home it was it was hard in other ways to not have a connection to an audience um yeah you know to not be on stage at all um to not be with our band i think the band has kind of suffered from that because a band really needs to be together um that chemistry is important to be in the room and to be playing and but i think for us as individuals i can speak for my brother and for myself 
just having time to sit here with my instruments and this is my studio in southern france and you know it's been it's made for some just to waste days trying new ideas and you know kind of um so and i think interestingly enough for things like working on a you know film projects um the technology like this you know we're speaking now over zoom um i monitored the cyrano orchestral sessions at abbey road over zoom and audio wow. movers and in a, in a like a nice studio in france but it was amazing you know it was kind of incredibly um there's nothing like being in a room but i've been in a room with orchestras for years so i know when you want to explain like a string technique or something and it's you know if it may be the different stage of things for me it would, would have been trickier i think in ways for working with joe wright you know letting he was there and giving him sort of the physical space to be in charge and not get my yeah. feathers ruffled when he would be like oh can we let's add a trumpet i'm like well we can't add a trumpet now or <laughs> but just <laughs> yeah. like okay trumpet, can you play a d <laughs> and to kind of just let just sort of go with it because you know obviously yeah. directors encourage even an orchestral session you know? <laughs> yeah 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 and not to have any we get along really well and yeah so i think there, there are good sides i mean it's been for all the performing artists, you know, for, for instance, for classical musicians who aren't writing their own music, you know, for all the people in theaters on Broadway, you know, in the West End like that have shut down during COVID, it's just been brutal, you know, the, yeah. obviously, you know, not to mention the health side of things, but just yeah. the economic fallout of all this has been so hard. So we are, as composers, super lucky to have work, really. Yeah. Well, listen, we're running out of time. I'm so excited for people to see these films and personally I'm so excited because you're back on the road next year as well um, I've already kind of highlighted in my diary at least three festivals that I'm going to come along to oh, so I can uh, make sure I see you because I just yeah any opportunity to come and watch you guys live that it's would be just, you have to let us know yeah. ahead of time and we'll make sure we can hang out that would be amazing Bryce it's such a treat to get to chat to you okay. and I'm glad to see you so well and just this work is extraordinary and I'm so excited to see what's next as well and in this part of your world that you're you're absolutely thriving in and we haven't even talked about all this wonderful sort of concert and opera that you're kind of involved in as well so maybe we can do that another time as well um thank you. but yeah well, thank, thank you for your time. time yeah take care bye bye
from the score to Come On, Come On, which is a film I feel like I haven't talked enough about, um, and I want to highly recommend that you go and watch it. Um, wonderful, beautiful, exquisite film, very emotional, beautifully performed, beautifully directed, and beautifully scored. Um, but anyway, that is The Orphan Returns by Bryce Desner and his brother Aaron, rounding off the first part of this soundtrack and double bill. Next up then, it is Cyrano director Joe Wright, so why don't we begin this section with one of Bryce and Aaron's cues from the movie, This Is Dying. Bowman, how are you? I'm fine, Joe. Right? How are you? I'm. Uh, I'm all right. Well, actually, no. Well, I got a touch of COVID. No. No, I'm all right. My 13 year old just had it as well. He just went back to school today. I'm fine. I mean, I I felt a bit snotty at the weekend, but apart from that, I've been fine. Good. I'm glad to hear it. So that's yeah. I feel very lucky. Yeah. Good. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you for doing it. It's really nice because we've all. I've already spoken to Bryce. I have all the insights going on. <laughs> oh. I am um, no, it was lovely actually. I had a really nice time. Do you know what I also did yesterday was I listened back to our last conversation, which was for Darkest Hour, which was really nice to listen to. That's a while ago. Yeah, quite a while ago. Yeah, and then the last time I saw you was the premiere. Yes, absolutely. You're very kind to come and do that. Oh, anytime. But the film's just glorious, Joe. I think I said that to you at the night. Thank you. Just just really emotional and luxurious. Oh, I loved it. I love so much about it. And I just love how you've really approached a musical, if it has to be put in a box, with with a very different kind of approach. It's really, yeah, I think it's just really, I hate using the word fresh. It's horrible. But um, it it is. It's really. It's a breath of fresh air. There we go. There's oh, a better way of saying it. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, well, that's lovely to hear from a muse such as yourself. Listen, from listening back to our conversations, you're the one who teaches me a lot about music from our previous conversations. So whether it be oh. Max Richter and all, yeah. From do you remember you that last about, time? You knew about Max Richter. Not before I spoke to you the very first time. I didn't. Really. Oh, no, I'm uh, very proud of that. Yeah, and then, but then the last time you told me about when you went to see Arrival, you got really angry because because Denise yeah. had used your song. Yeah, it's funny how <laughs> songs make us feel like they're ours. Yeah, I'm not. I am. I am listening. I'm also writing down some names of tracks just in case I need to come up with something to say. Okay. Well, I want to start off by asking about your journey with this film. And, and what that journey was to getting on board to making this film and the decision and the inspiration for you to to take this project. Because there was an ex- pre-existence there, wasn't there, of, of something. Obviously, the story's like, you know, very old. Yeah, I mean, 
Hayley Bennett is my partner. So, um, so she was doing many, many years ago, she had been involved in figuring out uh, a little sort of reading of this of this musical. And then that developed into a bigger, a bigger workshop production, which was still very small. They got some money to go up to Connecticut um, and mm-hmm. uh, mount the show uh, in a little theatre in Chester, Connecticut, as seated 120 mm-hmm. people. And Haley was very nervous. Uh, she was pregnant as well with uh, our oh. daughter. And, um, and so she asked me to go up and be there for the first night. And so I, went, I just went to support her, really. And I was knocked out. Uh, I was knocked out by her and by Peter Dinklage and their... their I never really believe in this idea that actors have chemistry, but the the kind of creative understanding that they shared, and and Pete being, you know, who he is, uh, including but not only his physicality, um, and Haley being who she is, including and not only her physicality, and the contrast and um compatibility of their spirits um and yet she's mm. this kind of you know she's she's very womanly you know yeah Haley, and um you know she's not one of these kind of androgynous sticks and uh and and so that contrast with pete i thought was kind of extraordinary um and i'd always loved the i'd always loved the the play the story ever since i'd saw gerard Depardieu do it uh, when I was a teenager, you know, and I, I, I kind of identified with that character somehow, as I think most people do in some way, you know. Yeah. Because we're all, we're all sort of, we meet someone and we think they're the best thing ever. <laughs> and so then how could they possibly love us, you know? What, you uh, think you've got to be something else. Yeah. And so you try and, you try and kind of project something that you're not really. And, um, and that's, you know, because that other person is so incredible. How could yeah. they love you? <laughs> yeah. You're just you, you know. Yeah, I think you're that bad. would work though. It's not just in the kind of relationships. It's kind of that thing. It's I'm, I remember it's when people ask me about like when you go and speak to students and stuff, and they kind of you, they want advice on what to do. And I always say to them, don't try and be somebody that you're not. Don't try and be the person that you think the the boss that you're going to see wants you to be. Don't yeah. preempt what you think that is. Just be you rather than yeah. what you think that person wants or needs you to be, because, yeah, I think that's... It's... I should have had a chat with you at the beginning of my career. <laughs> it took me. I've tried to make films thinking this is, <laughs> this is the kind of director I want to be, you know. Got to learn, though. Yeah, you do, you know. But then do you ever really learn or do you just repeat <laughs> the same mistakes over and over again? That seems to be my, that seems to be my bag. It was really interesting listening back to the chat because one of the things and you just said again there was that, you know, when we talked about Churchill last, you were like, I kind of forgot it was a film about Churchill when I was making it. You know, it's about this man and about this person, this human, who was faced with these extraordinary kind of challenges and situations in his life at this one point in his life. And you were like, you know, there's, there's a bit of me in that and there's a bit of me in probably all, all of my films and all the characters and stuff. And so it's interesting you kind of, you're immediately saying that about, you know, Cyrano as well. And I think it's interesting then that that's even further than that you, 
you see that it's something I think, and I'm, I agree that we can all relate to. I think that all my, all my films are personal. You know, I, I kind of, I don't have to make, make a, an autobiographical film for it to be personal. Yeah. Uh, I use my imagination, you know, I, I project mm. into every story. They're always about me somehow. That sounds really solipsistic, but it's, it's just, it's what you do, really. Yeah. Was there, what point did it become a, a musical? Yeah. Okay. Erica Schmidt, who who uh, adapted that uh, stage version and then subsequently adapted the screenplay, she had conceived it as a musical and she'd approached the National, who had, you know, sent her a whole bunch of songs that I think, you know, were songs that hadn't been on albums that they'd done. And, you know, and, and so, and she started adapting like that. And then they started writing more specifically to the, uh, to the show. Um, and then when we were adapting it for film, we were, we were working again closely with, with Bryce and Aaron and, yeah. Matt and Karen, uh, adapting it for the film. I guess that's a different experience for you in terms of how you've worked in the past in terms of there's, or did you, I mean, how much did you, did you did you feel that there was there was an element of of existing stuff there that you wanted to take with you into the film or or how did that work? Did you want to yeah? Did you want to have your own input on that or or a bit of both? How did that work? Because you obviously got there was, yeah. yeah. There was some stuff that I felt worked really really well, and then there was other stuff that I felt could be developed further, and then there was other stuff that I felt needed to be written you know fresh and new. Uh, and also, because after the after the workshop production in, in Connecticut, there was another production on uh, off Broadway, and and so that changed again. And I kind of went back to the workshop production rather than the off Broadway production. So it kind of was this sort of whole area of investigation and options and and taking cherry picking and coming up with new stuff and so on. I was listening to, I found an interview that you'd done um, talking about it and I loved you hearing you talk about a lady called Mary Hammond. Mm. And I loved you describing about the the, the ship because this feels like such an amazing thing that you were able to actually, you know, undertake in the middle of COVID, taking over this town pretty much in Sicily, was it? And having all these different, almost feeling like a kind of a, a live working filming workshop really or kind of drama school really with all these different rooms going on with different things happening in different places and yeah absolutely we I mean I always like to have a rehearsal period before shooting uh but this one was even more intense than normal uh we we took over this theatre Victorian theatre in the town of Notto where we shot the movie and each room uh was had a different activity so there was sword fighting in the main auditorium and then they were (laughs) doing dance choreography on the stage and then we turned another room into a recording studio and then we had dramatic rehearsals in another room and Mary Hammond working on singing uh coaching in another room and it was it was this kind of it felt like you know we were putting on a show in a kind of really sort of uh, (laughs) exciting way and it was after so many months of inactivity and just bleak uh circumstances to finally be out in the world making a movie Mm. with you know the people I love 
my my cinematic family uh was really important you know and it was really important to 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 kind of make something beautiful in the face of the defiance uh in the face of defiantly in the face of of what's what was going on what's still yeah you know not just was it the pandemic but Brexit and 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 it all you know it just felt and so we had a whole company of people from all over Europe Italians Germans Belgians French uh Danish uh we had Americans Canadians Japanese everyone came together to to make this little film about how important it is to say I love you and it boiled down to something really simple and sweet, you know, but um, yeah. true, not, you know, not syrupy sweet. It's doing something different in you. Is that an exciting prospect for you? Because this is a different thing for you. You've worked, you work with music beautifully in your films. You know, you've got such a sensibility to how music can be used so brilliantly in, in character expression and narrative and so many ways sort of thing. But this was a different thing. You know, this mm. is a musical. This was kind of, set musical performance pieces and stuff were you excited about that prospect I really loved it actually I mean I don't often like the music from musicals you know I mean I I love you know I love cabaret and I love you know um, have you seen the new one have you seen with Eddie Red I haven't yet I haven't I haven't I'm going next week oh lucky you with Jesse and and Eddie I haven't seen yeah yeah I'm excited to see that so it was exciting to do a musical with music I love and trying to find a way of allowing the the songs to feel entirely natural and organic to the dramatic moments of the film. That was something that Mary Hammond helped with a lot. She's a a singing coach and set up the musical theatre department at RADA and stuff. And, um, And she talks a lot about the intention um, the acting and the intention uh, when singing that it shouldn't be any different from, you know, speech, acting, drama. Uh, and, and so to that end, all of the music was recorded live on set or the singing was. Amazing. And so actors could, um, the actors could just, you know, be talking and take a little breath and then, and then sing a bit like you do when you're at home washing up, listening to the radio. You know, it's I wanted that kind of feeling. Yeah, I remember, um, weirdly remember Chris Martin talking about Mary Hammond. This is about 20 years ago. And he was like, she's not really a singing teacher. She kind of makes me, She I go around to her house and she sort of, she does all this kind of crazy stuff with me that almost allows me to kind of drop barriers and drop kind of my preconceived ideas of, what I, how I should be singing, how yeah. I should hit notes, how I should express an emotion. It's like, don't think about it. You've got to feel it. You've got to be it. You've got to be in it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's not this kind of, I mean, I've got a terrible singing voice. So, but there's this kind of, there's this sort of weight that comes with the expectation of singing that it's yeah. something different from any other vocal activity, whereas actually it's not. It's just a, mm. a further... Um, expression vocally I think as well the use of um, like the National obviously got this uh, who I'm such a a massive fan of I remember the first time I saw them weirdly they were supporting my husband's band Manchester Apollo and Tom was like you've got to go watch the support band they're amazing I sat on the front row in the balcony like like that like a five-year-old kind of thing and I was just sobbing through the whole performance it was just extraordinary oh so good and I just think that the way that Matt writes and sings 
Mm. It so suits Peter in terms of, you know, this character as well, in terms of it's kind of the way that they write music really warrants for, for Peter to take this character and for you to absolutely believe every word he says or sings. He's got an immense kind of yearning heart, Peter. Uh, and I think that, as you say, works perfectly with 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 the Nationals' music and and Matt's lyrics. And they're from Ohio, the National, as you probably know. And I kind of always think about the music as being this expansive kind of lonely place mm. um, in the middle of America. But I mean, also Pete had to kind of learn to not imitate Matt as well. Because <laughs> yeah. when he started out, it was a bit like he was doing Matt Berenger, and he was quite good at doing Matt Berenger, but not as good at it as Matt Berenger is. So um, uh, again, back to our theme of of being yourself, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, so 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 that was important is for 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 Pete to find his own voice. And once he'd done that, it unlocked the emotion. Have you ever wanted something So badly you cannot breathe Have you ever loved someone Madly Since I saw her I've tried to look away But I can't resist I know every detail of her I made a list I can't tell you how long I Thought about her I've kept everything she's missed She's gonna laugh at the one that brings her love like this. Have you ever wanted something so badly you cannot breathe? Have you ever loved someone madly? Haley is just this, she has this hypnotic quality where you literally, you find that you've not taken a breath in the entire time that you're kind of watching her perform. And the beautiful kind of, the beautiful way she kind of glides you through her performance as well from, you know, spoken word into song as well. It's just, it's absolutely stunning. There's something kind of, um, there's something quite dreamlike about the way Haley acts it she kind of accesses a different place that isn't it's not at all surface it's sort of there's this dream space she goes into and she takes you there with her totally uh, i wish she'd work with david lynch one day i think she'd be amazing with david lynch that's a great idea you could surely make that happen <laughs> i wish i'm a- <laughs> 
I wish I could. I once met David Lynch only once. I'm like years and years thinking one day I'm going to meet David Lynch. And I saw him in a restaurant. And so I thought I've got to go up and say hello. And so I arrived at the table, but he was sitting down and I thought I can't stand over him. So I just dropped to my knees in, a, in this restaurant I instinctively fell to my knees and like I prayed before him <laughs> so I'd be lower and, and could look up at him it was really embarrassing and then I kind of had to you know I had to get up there and my legs my knees went and it was yeah <laughs> should have, should have, oh man uh, you know seeing him there and walked away maybe I was I didn't see the um the off Broadway performance of this in terms of of casting how much obviously Peter and Haley but with the rest of the cast what was the actually casting? wasn't in that in the off oh was she not she was in the she was in the Connecticut one yeah uh, workshop one and then um, she just had our daughter she just had our yeah. baby um, so she couldn't do the off Broadway one uh, so only Pete came from that production and um, yeah. Uh, great casting. A whole, new, a whole new cast. You've done a oh, great casting. Oh, my God. I'm, I mean... I, I'm a bit in love with Kelvin Harrison Jr. in a kind oh, of rush way. He's, um, he smelled amazing at the premiere. She just... Did he? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love, yeah. <laughs> I have a of him when I see him next. Um, uh, yeah. He's he, awesome. He's awesome. He's. Have you seen Waves? Yeah. He was in that. He, I first saw him in Waves and I was just blown away by that film uh, and by him. And then I, I got to meet him and I discovered him to be this kind of incredible innocent, really. He's, he's open and he's innocent and he's so excited by the world he finds himself in. And he never expected to find himself there. You know, he has got no no kind of sense of entitlement or anything. He's just, he's just really happy to be there. And, and I, I felt those were all qualities that I, that I wanted to bring or him to bring to Christian. Yeah. And Ben Mendelssohn. I mean, there is nothing this man can't do. He's so good. I love that man. I was like, I was like, okay, so I think, I think I should ask Ben if he can sing. Um, so I, I I texted him and I said, Ben, can you sing? And he was in lockdown, you know, in California, going out of his mind. And um, and he said, Oh, mate, watch this. And well, five minutes later, he sent me a video, like off his phone, of himself improvising a kind of a, a kind of Tom Jones number, right? A big voice number. That was uh, yeah a total improvisation, and um, and I watched it and and went yeah okay and texted him back going all right we start shooting in October that was it brilliant that's so good and Monica Dolan I wanted to mention as well because I love Worship. Monica Worship Monica oh. she's amazing and what a rock as well I mean you know she 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 was this kind of amazing it sounds like it's not a nice thing to say about her but it is a nice thing to say about her she's just incredibly solid you know she can mm. you can there's always something going on with monica uh you can cut to her at any point during a scene and you'll find a little gem um and she grounds 
the the company and uh, and the film. She's she's. I love Monica. I can't wait yeah. to work again on a, in a in a in a bigger role. Hopefully. Do you know who she reminds me of a wee bit as well? You old mate, Kathy Buck. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has the same kind of honesty as Kathy. Mm. There's no one I've ever met as honest as Kathy. And um and yeah, Monica's a little bit like that. That's true. They're both, you know, Irish stock as well, aren't they? I loved her in the um Days of the Bagnold Summer with Nick Cave's son. Yeah, yeah. yeah she yeah. was fantastic in that. She's yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, what were you playing on set? What music were you playing on set? Because I know you love playing music on set whether it's bubble butt for uh, Gary Oldman in his fat suit or... Uh, well, <laughs> Hayley's very into... I mean, she likes a lot of different types of music, but she's very into her kind of um, American folk-ish, sort mm-hmm. of like John Pine and Harry Nielsen and, and, and people like that, Van Sant and Towns Van Sant. And, and then... But then we'd always kind of tweak it up a bit and play a bit of, you know, you know, tweak, oops, I did it again, or um, uh, or, or Missy Elliott, you know. Um, uh, so, so yeah, we would, I'm quite into um, uh, uh, George the Poet, I'm, I'm quite into at the moment, stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's lovely with the music and the film, though, because it's, with the, 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 the easy and obvious thing would have been for the music to be, to match period and I love that that kind of contradicts it you know the kind of that there's a that there's a contemporary feeling to it but it's just but even the production design and everything still got this kind of you could almost like that theatre is just so spectacular you kind of oh, you're like feel like you're walking into it. it takes your breath away it's so beautiful the idea is that it's not a period movie it's like yeah. a fantasy movie of a period which I wouldn't compare the film to a Disney movie but in the way that sometimes Disney movies are like a fantasy period of a dis of a, a, a I mean a, a a fantasy of a period rather than rather than a kind of specific period. It's somewhere around you know the late seventeenth, early eighteenth century. But the costumes certainly are as you know as a, as inspired by 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 Galliano and McQueen as they are by Watto and Fragonard. You know. Um, yeah. Um, so it's this kind of funny. So that's so. So the music was part of that idea. The 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 the, the kind of contemporary music was part of that idea. And was it easy to kind of find those moments as well, where you know, outside of the performances and outside of the the silences, really, where there's no music required to find that score, to find those moments that needed you know music behind it, navigate yeah. that. I mean, I try. I don't really like sort of underscoring which you know is music under dialogue um yeah. uh, like the music moments in films whether they're in this the musical numbers or just music moments to have to earn their place and give the focus to the music and Bryce and Aaron work beautifully as as composers for the score as well as for the songs and they're quite different you know um Aaron's more song orientated hooks are amazing and and so on and Bryce is more kind of minimalist classical uh orchestral um and so the combination of those but then also still with the with the kind of um using modern instrumentation as well yeah and and so on how important was it for you to be out 
on location to shoot this film to, to, in terms of because I guess that the I don't know if it would be an easier option with everything that was going on with COVID and stuff of kind of using a soundstage and shooting it there. The last kind of three films I've done have been prior to this have all been kind of um, studio based films. So I really, yeah. really wanted to be back out in the world on location and filming on the island of Sicily meant that, mm. you know, very little through traffic um, and we kept to pretty much one town. And uh, and so we were able to create a bubble there and, and, and be quite safe. And it was, you know, it's quite a small budget, this film as well. So we didn't have the uh, option of building everything as sets. And I just love being being in Sicily, being out in the world again and being in this incredible kind of backlot, really. I mean, because yeah. as as we were shooting, um, uh, the the numbers started, the, the COVID numbers started rising again. And so we had to sort of lock down a bit more and the city became completely, the town became completely deserted and it was just us. And uh, and it was kind of it was extraordinary, yeah. And then we went yeah. up Mount Etna, uh, which you know, as you know, is a live volcano, um, for the last ten days of shooting, and that was that was a whole nother a whole nother story. <laughs> <laughs> it erupted. Did it not erupted? <laughs> yeah, it erupted <laughs> on the last day of shooting. It erupted, and we had to run for our lives <laughs> with our camera boxes under our arms off the mountain. Oh my god! It was shocking. It was shocking. <laughs> um, I went back to the hotel and just sob. <laughs> oh mate, I'm giving too much away. On this this um, podcast, listen today. It was so nice hearing you talk about the whole pre-production. I'm such a geek, and I'm just so interested in the whole process. But the whole, you know, your whole pre-production and how you, the, the journey to how a film, how you want a film to look, and how you want the production, the costumes and all that. And, and this journey that you have with your with your production designer and your cinematographer where you, you know, you put together picture montages and you you have all this kind of that then that then can influence the film and your your short list and all this kind of stuff. This beautiful kind of like kind of it's a real almost kind of sort of visual road trip really to get to where you get to the point where you start and it's shooting. Quite very broad as well. You know, you we we have a, a secret weapon. Sarah Greenwood, my production <laughs> designer, and I, who um, have worked together for the past 25 years odd now. Um, but but Sarah and I have a secret weapon. His, his name is Phil Clark, and he's a picture researcher. And we kind of brief him. Uh, and then he comes back with thousands and thousands of these incredible images, modern, period, paintings, photography, uh, photojournalism, um, just stuff, um, uh, and and we sift through that slowly, and it's a very broad palette at first, um, and then it becomes more and more refined and more and more specific until you say, okay, that's that's the image, that's the that's the idea, and often images that you've seen, you know, a couple of months ago uh, or more. Uh, will come back to you and you'll go, oh, wait a minute, this is how we do this. Do you remember that image of this chair being handed over people's heads? That's what makes sense of this scene or unlock this scene, you know. So it's about was- kind of observing the world around you, but also filtering it through this kind of library of images that you have stored in your mind. What was the hardest um, musical number to shoot? 
or the most challenging? I guess I I, I guess the 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 oh I don't know they're all they're all <laughs> they're all challenging you know because they all had to have their own character and flavour and and we and and I really wanted to make sure that I never kind of repeated myself. Um, That's so true. It, it, each one really is a really drives. You never feel like you've seen or heard or felt anything that you've already seen in you know in a previous yeah. number. Yeah, I mean, I think my favourite song, probably, uh, or the one that makes me most emotional, uh, is is Wherever I Fall, which is um, uh, Glenn Hansard. Hansard, yeah. And Scott Boland and and um, Sam Amadon singing it uh, in the cave, and uh, and that was whilst we were shooting up on Mount Etna. And it was a really, really tough shoot up there. It was, you know, we were working at 8,000 feet and the weather was dreadful and uh, we'd lost a camera crane. And it was all, it was, you know, it was tough. Um, And and people wanted us, you know, studio people wanted us to cut that song because they were like, well, there aren't any lead actors in it, so you don't need that one. And I felt that that song we somehow had to keep because it was the kind of emotional spine of the movie. Uh, and so I, I kind of improvised a way of integrating it into the dialogue scene that followed so that it mm. would be impossible to cut. Um, <laughs> that, uh, so that, you know, using kind of, I don't know, tricks like that, really. Bravo, but that was well done. Where, that I was like that. We sang it and we sang it. And then I suddenly looked around and the, 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 the whole crew standing behind me were all kind of in pieces. But we yeah. were very tired. <laughs> and there was volcanic ash just <laughs> being spewed out we at you. very tired and no one had seen their family for months. And, you know. <laughs> I have a girl. I think I love her. I should have told her. Instead, I told her mother. I gave her chocolates, I bought a ring, but I never told her anything. But I can see her in every detail now, turning in my mind. I barely knew that girl at all, but I will love her to the end of time. Take this letter to my girl Tell her that I saw the whole world Say that right before I fell I said her name out loud Isabel Tell her not to cry at all Wherever I fall. Um, do you know what's next? Or are you having a holiday? No, 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 no. Um, no, I don't like holidays. Um, uh, I, yeah, I hope I know what's next, but I can't say yet. It'll be a movie that, uh, again, we'll shoot in Italy. Um, awesome. Like, yeah, so that'll be fun. Well, I hope we can talk about that when it comes as well. But I, um, I, I loved, I loved Cyrano, and I just thought you've, you've done a beautiful job with it. Yeah, I just feel like it's something I've never seen before, which is such a rare thing to feel when you watch after you watch a film. So it's great to chat to you, Joe. 
Thank you so much lovely for your time. To to you. Thank you. It's always lovely to talk to you. Take care. Take care. Love. I hope you feel better as well, love. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye. From the score to Cyrano, that's saying goodbye, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Joe Wright and Bryce Desner. My huge thanks to Joe and Bryce for taking the time to talk to us. Cyrano is on general release now, with the score for Come On, Come On available to listen to on A24 Music. Head to edithbowman.com to hear my previous conversations with both Joe and Bryce and, indeed, Mike Mills. My website is also the place to subscribe and find links to dedicated Spotify playlists for every show. So if you hear a cue in the middle of one of the conversations and you're like, oh, what is that cue? What's that piece of music? Then for every episode of the podcast, we create a playlist of all the pieces of music as we play them, but you can hear them in their entirety. So go and find that on Spotify. There's links on my website, edithbowman.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please have a week under at our YouTube channel too for Soundtracking Extra. Next up, well, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to give you double episodes. So we'll have an episode every Friday and every Monday with guests like, and I'm not going to tell you when they are, but we have the likes of Andrew Garfield, Johnny Greenwood and various others coming up. So make sure, if you aren't already, to subscribe to Soundtracking. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company on Friday.